So to respond to some questions. The first part of this audio file was lost, but the first question was, how do you deal with fear and doubt? And Tudong monks used to go into the jungle to be with, uh, to experience fear. And it's, it's really not difficult to experience fear <laughs> in a dark jungle where you hear all the night time all the animals start hooting and wailing and they sound, you can't see anything. You can't see anything, it's black. And you hear these animals crashing around and screaming and howling. You just feel really, really um, vulnerable. You've got defenseless, pathetic human body. <laughs> and some of them are tigers. They used to be tigers. So then you can actually hear the tiger roaring. You've actually got zero chance of, of, of if a tiger ghost comes on you, it's over. So it just puts you very upright. Right now, all you know is <laughs> it's not on your back because <laughs> when it's on your back it's over so it doesn't take long for a tiger to bash your head in so okay here you are so the mind naturally I want to be safe, I want to be safe stop, that's not going to do you any good so it's certainly a process where you've got to work you know, to to see that the feeling, however justifiable it is, is is triggering reactions that are not of no use. And then you just get that sense of what you have is a center, stability, and feeling is this, feeling is this. Mm. So that's the that's the that's when we've really begun to contemplate or find the place between the feeling, it's the sense of unpleasantness and emotion, and not just emotion but bodily reaction. So so the, the you can't necessarily not have the feeling, but you can begin to check the reaction, the, that, that rising up of fear. Or if it's there, it's there, and you, you, know, you kind of get, you know, <laughs> You stay with it. The Buddha himself was saying when he was in the forest, in the jungle, fear and dread would come over him. He'd walk up and down. Fear and dread, fear and dread, fear and dread, and just keep walking until the fear and dread subsided. Just keep walking. And you've got a physical body, you've got the energy, your body's just moving. Go with that. Go with that. That's the so advantage of walking meditation because it does provide you with a quite an obvious, you know, form. Whereas sitting, yeah, you can if you can do that, that's great. But sometimes sitting, you know, the body's quite still. You know, just a bit of breathing. It's not very, not very obvious. 
But walking up and down is very obvious. You've got something that's going walk, 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 walk. And you just keep referring to that. And that your energy, body energy goes into that and begins to uh, not accentuate the, the fear, but turn the fear into alertness. There's nothing wrong with fear. It's being overwhelmed by it. That's the issue. Nothing wrong with fear. But when you, so when it, but it, when it overwhelms, you go to panic, and then you go crazy. And sometimes that happens. Mm. You know, some story. Some monk who got in a forest jungle with a tiger, and he got st- kind of backed into this crack in a tree, and he just st- stuck there. And the tiger growling at him. And he just basically lost his mind. He was trapped. And the fear just overwhelmed. So, now we generally don't have that kind of fear, I guess. Physical fear, but we can fear the future, fear embarrassment, fear people, fear, you know, anxiety, fears. And so there's the emotion, there's the somatic response, and then unpleasant, don't want it. Got to stop not wanting it to meet it, and then cultivate these practices to discharge the hyperactivation that fear causes, get hyperactive, so you just remain alert. And uh, so they would do this often because it was considered helpful for samadhi. Certainly, your mind doesn't wander into daydreaming about dinner when you hear a tiger growling in front of you. <laughs> and self doubt, again, what is, do you like? That's something, again, that you imagine you find unpleasant. Unpleasant feeling is something we've got to develop that capacity to, well, I say accept it, but that's a glib phrase, but to, to just expand your awareness to not fight unpleasant feeling. Physical feeling, understandable, yeah, you can deal, but when it's a, you know, physical pain, yeah, you want to put some energy into that, but it's actually in your heart, it's not much you can, it's already in there, you can't really push it out. <laughs> uh, so the heart then contracts. Unpleasant feeling causes the heart contract. Don't want this, wriggles. No, 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 it shouldn't be like this. And the mind starts proliferating, the budgie sankara gets going. And that just creates a lot of noise. Useless. So we get unpleasant mental, psychological, emotional feeling. Somebody's blaming you, been let down, been betrayed, disappointed, so forth, treated like an idiot. Um, unpleasant feeling. Okay, let's just st- you know, open to that. And uh, that's... Uh, As you as you open to to feeling, mm. you see first of all this experience is 
you know, this person's, you know, annoying me or I, I don't have confidence in myself. There's a lot of, this is the Vajji Sankara weaves these characters around it. Me and other people, me and the future or something like that. They're all imagined. It's just that they're, they're shadows, they're image, they're shadow characters. See, it's just, who's the me? When we really begin to review that and get through the verbiage, there's an emotional you know, agitation. Okay, and then you come back, it's the heart that's, that's experiencing unpleasant feeling, not, not a me. And then the heart, and then if you come to, to that through this inquiry, through this constant, trying to be more and more truthful to the exact quality that's being felt, where it's being felt. Once you get past the characters and the narrative and the story and the, why it shouldn't be there, just the heart experiencing unpleasant feeling is contracting. And we've just got to kind of go there and start asking it to open. Again, we might be able to do by breathing, breathing through the heart, walking, just opening to unpleasant feeling. And then the feeling drops out because it be, it's, it's, it's locked into that sense of displeasure because the heart tightens around it. So it's like a, so that tightness is actually holding the feeling in. If we can loosen up, the feeling is just, you know, unpleasant feeling. So what? It's like is this news. And so self-doubt, essentially we, we doubt ourself, whatever that is, and whoever doubts it, this again is a mental concoction. It's a very common, I'm sure people will know, know what this is about, it's, a, it's not that if anybody's crazy, this is the way the Vajisankara works, the, the articulation, the verbal formation, it weaves these characters, these people, and these entities around what is a nugget of insecurity or emotional unsteadiness, feeling lost, sense like that. So there's an emotion, and we don't want that emotion. And so you just start to release the unpleasant feeling and the emotion of unsteadiness is like this, right? Now what's going what's to help that? Steady breathing, walking, body, just being embodied. Hmm? Yeah, because if self isn't going to do it, self is the is the problem, not the answer. So, you know, if there's a sense of self, there'll be a sense of self-doubt because the self is just a a fiction. Has no solidity to it. So generally, you know, this is this entity. You get, broadly speaking, you get neurotics, 
And most of us are neurotic, which is kind of like always, I'm not this, I could be that, I'm sure, no, no. And you get narcissists, which is everybody else, there's something wrong with them. I'm great. What's wrong with you guys? You don't really appreciate me for the wonderful person I am. <laughs> the narcissists are very difficult. Neurotics can help. You can get them out of the mess. But narcissists, uh, they, don't, they don't really investigate the sense of self. It's sense that's absolutely solid. <laughs> but when you've got this kind of na- neurotic agitation, it does cause you to, what's that? Yeah. and it encourages us to work with it <laughs> so I just recognise that there's a whole many layers of experience in that there's the, the sense of the, um, the insecurity which is very fundamental to, to the sense of self and there's that wavering and then there's the forming of oh I don't feel very good when I'm you know, something starts to form around that, like a pattern. This is the vortex. You know, and then it starts to get words thrown in, and then the self forms. It is formed out of that whole conglomeration, and we've got to unform it. And the next question is to explain the difference between. Mental feeling and emotional feeling. Um, the, well, mental feeling is anything you know, derived from mental perceptions, interpretations, meanings, like even think I'm an idiot, that's a perception. She's an idiot, that's a perception. <laughs> We're all idiots, that's another perception. <laughs> So then the feeling is, is the sense of what happens when that drops into, into the heart. Uh, feeling good, don't enjoy that. So there's, the, there's that, and that's the, we call that the mental feeling, or we could call it the heart feeling. Right? Displeasure, and the, the, the emotional is, is the sankara, the rising up of a response of disturbed, agitated worried, you know, something like that. So that's, that's the difference. One's more the effect, the other's the response. But of course, it, it's not quite as, as simple as that because when we get an emotion like, like feeling lost or feeling confused, and then that also, that's an emotion, but then that is also experienced. We also feel that. I don't like this, this emotion, so we dislike that. So we end up kind of fighting, you know, with, our, with these emotions trying to straighten them out uh, because we just still don't like the feeling. Uh, you know, uh, an uh, emotion like self-criticism is extremely unpleasant. So, so, you say, well, you, so the emotion then is also has, has a feeling to it. Anything that occurs in terms of the jitta is felt. So then we're trying to, you know, pull ourselves together. Mm. You know, snap out of it, shape up, and so forth. And how's that feel? Unpleasant. <laughs> so it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> and you think, I'll forget about it and go and do something else altogether. How's that? <laughs> That's unpleasant too. <laughs> so you, know, you just can't keep, you know, whatever 
shadows that feeling creates, you know, whether it's behind that or that or that, you know, whatever shadow forms of personality that that feeling thing generates, you know, whatever is in the way of it, eventually you've got to get back to that and switch the dang thing off. <laughs> <laughs> So someone's experiencing angry, angry, unproductive thoughts, uh, trying to reduce the damage caused by neighbours over 15 years. Mm. Well, well, I wonder what damage. In a very um, sort of sharp way, um, the only one who causes you damage is your own mind. Because um, something takes that in, other people's behaviour. Other people's behaviour, we take it in. We get affected by it. Like taking it in. Right. If we didn't take it in, it wouldn't cause any problems, would it? And you may very well think, well, how could you not take it in? Uh, well, this is a matter of, uh, again, of perceptions and attitudes. Other people's behavior you, don't, you find is unproductive or downright insensitive and callous and dis- disrespectful. You could be right. Because that's their behavior. Now, what's your behavior? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we, what, how do we take that in? We get, we get affected by it. Mm. This is why this sense of restraint is certainly much more than just the moral sense. <coughs> it's actually got some quite subtle and profound implications to be able to Restrain the heart from just taking in what the world throws up. And this means it's got to be pretty, you've got to develop that settledness and strength in your, in your own heart. Mm. So the first thing that arises, of course, is the perception, and then the perception disagreeable, the feeling, unpleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, the emotion of dislike, and then we're stuck with that. Dislike, irritation, frustration. We're stuck in that. The vortex has appeared. And then that, that will stay there. And because then as that vortex appears, the thoughts go around it about how they never do this, and you always try that, and everybody should be like this, and it's quite reasonable, and that's totally inappropriate. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm sure that's all quite sensible. No. But it isn't, it isn't getting out of suffering. Now, you know, it may be if you want to take your neighbours to court, or something like that, that's, that's your, you can do it at that level. But it won't necessarily get rid of that, that vortex because you can remember them uh, for years. 
it'll still be there. Frustration, anger and resentment still there. Neighbours have moved away. They're bothering somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) And you still got that sounds and sounds like they knew stupid people I don't have to live with. It's still there. You can remember it. That's what memory does, isn't it? It brings it all back again. So how do we get rid of these stupid neighbours? There's a lot of practice in that because it seems, as far as I understand it, if you do surveys, it's almost as if the duty of neighbours is to be annoying. <laughs> Sooner or later, (laughs) they find ways to annoy you. (laughs) So, as a neighbour, it's probably, oh, here we go. (laughs) Wait until it starts to happen. The conflict over the fence or something, or the other dog. (laughs) So, it's going to, okay, so. How much is, how much is mine? Actually, I can't, can I stop their dogs? Maybe, but maybe not. How much is mine? The sound, their dogs, it's not mine. Their kids running around, you know, jumping into my garden and ripping up my flowers. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever neighbours do, you know. Their noisy parties, is that mine? What's mine? Mm. Yeah. So that we re- return to that and uh, understand the nature of ill will is a vortex. And the rocks underneath that that create it are mine. My, my property, my space, my, mine, mine. And that's what generates these, these vortexes. What is yours? You know, you can get angry about the mole. I suppose you have moles in New Zealand, do you? You don't have moles. Oh, people get really angry about moles in Britain. These little critters live under the ground. They're a nice, sweet little thing. Only about this big. And they little mammals, and they burrow under the ground, and they because they, they they're kind of eating worms and stuff, and then they, they throw up the earth onto the onto the onto the lawn as they burrow around. They, they just throw the earth out, so the gardener comes, and they're ruining my lawn. <laughs> so people kind of try to bash moles because they're ruining their lawns. So you get angry at the moles because it's my lawn. <laughs> You know, there's always some animal you hate because they're damaging my lawn or pooping on my windows or something. (laughs) (laughs) The animal has got no idea of mine. It's just doing its thing. So so this sense of ownership is really a source of immense dukkha because it's not yours, is it? 
<laughs> you didn't, you know, it's not yours. Otherwise you'd be able to make it yours, but it's, it's not yours. It's, it's shared. So what is, it, what is mine? Yeah. Right? Right in here. Yeah. And so we keep returning to that at least as a kind of a refuge place. Because I don't want the anger. I don't want the, the resentment souring my heart. So I might very well, okay, you know, find that place. I'm not, not I'm angry, but just maybe mention the neighbours. You know, we can live together, sharing space, maybe a bit more comfortable agreement, get on with each other a bit better if you, you know, didn't let your horse wander into my garden to be helpful. <laughs> That's how you work with it. When the things are stuck there because events happened years ago, you realise they, they, these vortexes, you see, if you don't resolve them, they, you eventually become them. That's the thing, you become formed by them. You know, they, they they, they begin to shape your personality. Yeah. I don't know what farmers like in New Zealand, but farmers in Britain are all grumpy because every other creature in the universe is bothering their land. So they're constantly grumpy, and they're grumpy about the weather. The weather's not right, and the, the insects are a problem, and then the prices are a problem, and the moles are a problem, and the deer are a problem. So they're just constantly grumpy because everything's a problem. <laughs> it's shaped around a sense of owning land, which you can't do. <laughs> so, you know, this is a certainly a, something to <laughs> come to terms with. But if we get that, the heart strong enough, that's the point, actually, then... At first it seems so nebulous, but when it gets stronger, then, you know, oh, this one, this will stay me where the neighbours have gone, and deer have gone, and then I've got this. You know, and then that's, that's the way out, really. And as I said, you work with these emotions in the way I've been describing Similar thing, person experienced bullying when they were at school and picked up a habit trying to sleep through my classes and formed a connection between aversion and drowsiness. It's not helpful. Well, that's interesting. So the, the sleeping was to counteract the fear of bullying? So there might be a couple of things you could usefully investigate. One is the the effect of being bullied, how that makes you into a small person, you lose dignity, humiliated, and so you need to regain your dignity and come back to that when you get to that place in you where you can stand and then you almost can imagine directly addressing people who are bullying you, even in the, in the past, from a place of strength about their inappropriate behaviour. So you need to, to be able to get on your feet again. Um, then drowsiness, how to work with drowsiness. 
I've heard some tips like breathe three slightly harder breaths. You can do. Holding a stick, pencil between the thumb and four fingers. Uh, do you have any favourite methods to help overcome drowsiness? Um, well, yeah, these are all interesting, useful remedies. You just stop, breathe out and stop breathing. And that, that certainly wakes you up. <laughs> count, not three breaths, but count about 15, 20 seconds or so till your body really starts demanding breath and then let the breath in slowly very slowly, things kind of shakes, brings up a lot of involuntary bodily energy. So you can do that, you know, a few times. It uh, shakes your energy system up a bit. It's kind of so that's useful. Also, another way is using the fingers, because the fingers are, rather than holding a pencil, just get the fingertips to touch each other. Because mm. the fingertips are just really, really, really sensitive. Mm. So if they touch each other, you can be aware of that and they're designed as probes. You know, so when the fingers touch something, the mind goes there. What are you touching? What's happening there? Because that's exactly what they're for. Tell us. They're extremely sensitive and receptive. So if they touch each other, your mind will probably find that it goes there and it, it's got something to, to connect to when everything's going woozy and dreamy and foggy. You've got something there. And naturally, of course, when you, as you get sleepy, your fingers disconnect and you can sense that and pull yourself up again and sense that, pull yourself up again, yourself up again. So you can do that. It's quite... Uh, it's quite um, quite annoying in really drowsiness because you know these are not suddenly you're not going to snap out of it it means you're going to have to do quite a lot of constantly doing it for a, a period of time just to get some um, some perspective on the experience it doesn't mean the drowsiness will disappear but you might be able to find a place where you can just feel that kind of ugh, state <laughs> and then you know, maybe this is just nature, you know. So the aversion to it, the fighting. So can we find some way in which we sense that foggy state and yet maintain awareness of it, rather than even trying to overcome it? So these finger things are helpful just to give you some some anchoring in that in that state and it could be that sustaining that for an hour or so the drowsiness will have which is a low energy state will eventually leveled out and you'll you'll kind of gain come back to clarity if you do you'll find there's quite a quite a beautiful result because your mind gets very quiet and steady you, know, you come through drowsiness, it's really worthwhile, even though it's uncomfortable. You get a, a sort of an energy that's not about doing anything. It's not aggressive, it's not overcoming anything, it's just quite cool and stable. So, 
person is asking, practicing metta mainly, that's their main practice. Is it important to develop my meditation and walking practice alongside metta? Um, what is metta practice? I wonder. There's very few occasions when the Buddha talks about practicing metta. He talks about as something you enter. You enter into this mode of non-aversion. Mm. That's a, so that's pretty, uh, you know, and you can extend that by sustaining that mode of non-aversion, a mode of heartfulness, and the sympathy when you walk, stand with people on your own, when you're sick, when you're happy, when you're tired. Just live in that vihara as these different experiences move over you. See, personally, I think metta is it's just like a fundamental. You know, if, we, if we're not in metta, what are we in? <laughs> you know, because that's, that's, the, that's the state of the heart in health. If the heart is in a state of health, it's not contracted, agitated, distorted or sick. It's naturally, it's a loving thing. It's a loving vehicle. That's what it's about. Nature of heart is to, is relationship. And to relate, it means you've got to have some sense of openness and non-aversion. Otherwise you don't relate, you fend, you fend off. <laughs> so so that is, that's a kind of... Um, it's as we've been saying about unpleasant feeling, for example. You know, we don't like it. Well, can we understand not liking it? Absolutely. But not liking it isn't going to make it go away. So let's practice in not re- releasing not liking it. Just And then metta, um, you could say that heart energy is fundamentally kind of starts out as the expression of the heartfulness and then when it meets discomfort it becomes more compassionate oh. so compassion is like the sense of when something's difficult or unpleasant it says oh tell me more 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 please <laughs> rather than no go away oh. How's that? It's interested in, in the unpleasant. Mm. That's, that's, so that changes the whole tide of feeling. Instead of forming this kind of negative vortex, this quality of compassion turns the tide. And the sense of, look, everybody gets unpleasant feeling. It's 30% of life. (laughs) It's not personal. Get used to it. You don't have to take that into, into negativity.
and aversion, you can turn it into compassion and, and, and equanimity, which is just sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's good. That's the way it goes. These uh, seemingly philosophical statements are actually, um, in the reality of it, these are heart energies. Remember, of course, that metta, uh, loving-kindness, compassion, uh, we can understand them as principles, which is true, but they're, they're much more than that. They're not just principles, they're energies. You know, it's a real energy of heart, just opening to. As we know, the word loving kindness and love can be so, can cover so much unwholesome. You know, I love you so much, but I'm going to have to beat you to make you a better person because I love you. Uh huh. Could you perhaps not love me so much? (laughs) 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 Just let me be. And so on, you know, <laughs> or it's acquisitive. I love you, therefore I want, you know, <laughs> uh, or greedy and uh, love. But then this quality is—it's not just the idea or the word. It's, it's a real openness and giving of heart. So we can cultivate this. Uh, we can abide in that. And we may need, in fact, to put some attention into that at times. You know. So really looking at where one gets averse or where one gets lets aversion in. Or just generating it so we can remember people we perhaps don't think about that much with a generous heart. Like, oh, you know, the person who does things, you just see them as an item that does things. Oh, that's a person. Oh, let's, let's have an attitude of generosity and care towards her. She's not just a cook, she's a person with a heart. So it's, so it's the fundamental basis of, of any proper relationship is goodwill. Yeah. And if we're losing that by aversion or just, just indifference, I don't really actually see, really resonate with you as a person. I keep thinking you're a gardener or a cook or a this or a that, an, an item. So to get a sense of feeling for people, open to them, that's, that's an absolutely fundamental training and cultivation. When you're doing walking, you can actually you can bring to people to mind if you like. Or you can just practice sustaining that, that quality of, of non-aversion and goodwill. And uh, the, the movement of the walking, the energetic movement of the walking, helps to firm up that energy in your body. Yeah. And similarly, does, so does breathing. So when you get a positive heart energy, if you connect to... Uh, a steady body energy to it, it helps to give it some firmness. This is not just an idea, this is a real presence and you feel your body responds to it. So it makes the countenance becomes more radiant. Body actually has somatic and physiological effects.
Animals don't attack you, animals don't fear you, attack you. Um, people like you, and you feel there's a radiance to your deportment. So the person, you know, the person, it's not negativity, it's another one, negative mind state, which I thought I should investigate, but seemed to have no energy to do so. So I continued the practice, the mind state disappeared. Is it still important to investigate in case this complete lack of purpose and meaning returns? So that's the negative mind state, lack of meaning and purpose. Yeah, it's good to understand the basis of negativity. If that's the way it strikes you, it's about meaning and purpose or lack of meaning and purpose. Then maybe the, the qualities of your practice give you a sense of this is meaningful, this is purposeful, and you could be absolutely right. <laughs> I hope so. So, so if you can carry those qualities of mindfulness, attentiveness, steadiness, balance through your daily life, so these negative forces don't take over again. Because certainly it's easy to get that sense of, in this uh, world, of meaninglessness. Because it, some of it just seems so much, so little connected to, to reality.